I want to thank the JT and all those who lend their time to practice and lead us in worship on the instruments and things. And I just appreciate everybody and whatever part you serve in the body of Christ here. Just know that it doesn't go unnoticed and everything that we do, we do under the Lord. That better be our motivation. We have a place to serve Him. And when we serve in our spiritual giftings in the local body, the whole body benefits. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, I know that you are all thrilled that we're back in the book of Leviticus today. Um, I can't tell you how many emails I've had saying, when are you going to get back into the book of Leviticus? I can't tell you that because I don't think I have had any. But... But I, I think today, as we go through, you'll be especially blessed. I've got a lot to do in a short time to do it. So, um, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand. We're going to read a verse, pass some passages of Scripture. And I'm going to make a parallel to the New Testament right up front. So, Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. We're not going to read through the whole chapter of Leviticus, just the front end. We're dealing with what is known as the sin offering, or also known as the peace offering. Okay? So it says in verse 1, Leviticus chapter 4. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, If a a person sins unintentionally, that's a key word here, unintentionally, against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar. Of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove, as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh, and its head and legs and its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and to burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out and it shall be burned. Now turn with me. This is, what you, this is what the priest that sinned unintentionally was supposed to do. To get himself right so he could do the work of a priest. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> verses 1 through 11. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. We just read that in Leviticus 4. 
Because of this, as I said, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his, go- because of his godly fear, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. Father, we have desperate need in our time and our day. To understand as your people the enormous sacrifice that Jesus offered for us. As our high priest, he atoned. But unlike the human, earthly, the earthly high priest, he never had to atone for his own sins. There was never a time when the Lord Jesus brought guilt upon his body like they did. And so he stands as our perfect, holy, high priest. That we can come boldly before the throne of grace. To find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we're in Leviticus. And it's really difficult for us on this side of things. To look back and try to understand the picture and the imagery. But Lord, show us just how serious you take your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do is uh, we can be seated. I want to go ahead and and uh, I'm going to give you some background on the sin slash purification offering and the reparation offering. So the first thing that you need to know is the first three sacrifices that we've dealt with. The first being that which atones for sin just in, in general, making us acceptable before God. I mean, you've got to start there. You've got to come to Christ to live. You must have a, a covering of blood. But then after that, we have this tendency to still sin, do we not? And, and, that, and, that, and that fellowship with the Lord can be broken. Not lost. Salvation cannot be lost. But it can certainly be The fellowship of that salvation can certainly be broken. It can be disrupted. God can be grieved. The Spirit can be grieved. He can even be quenched because of our sinful, selfish actions. And that's simply what chapters 4 and 5 are about. What happens then? And so... Chapters 4, 5, and 6 go together. It's just too much for us to take on in a matter of 20 minutes here. Or 30. So what I want to do is give you some background to try to help you understand. I'm going to be reading some. And then we're going to go through the the verses to a degree. 
First, let us remember, this is the words of John Brown of Haddington. The sum of the Christian's duty is to be holy. That is to be conformed to God, to have the same views and judgments and sentiments and opinions with Him. You understand that to be conformed to the image of Christ is to love what Christ loves and to hate what Christ hates. We are, we are to approve what God approves. We are to disapprove what God disapproves. And the strongest and best reason why the Christian should have these views and judgments and sentiments and likings and dislikings is because God has them. You don't have the right to have your will anymore. The strongest and best reason why you should thus think and thus will is because God thus thinks and thus wills. And to be holy is to be conformed to God. And to be conformed to God is at once man's highest honor, duty, and happiness. When there is no resemblance to God in moral excellence in an intelligent being, there is nothing really dignified or honorable in that person. And are we not seeing that today? And then I like what he says. Be holy. For to be holy is to be conformed to God. And to be conformed to God is a person's true honor. We dealt with and are dealing with in the structure of Leviticus. The ritual sacrifices. You cannot come to God unless you've been atoned for. God cannot be in our midst Unless there has been an atonement made. Do you want to know where the wrath of God comes from upon sinners? From His holiness. His inherent intrinsic character and nature. Will always judge sin. His wrath abides upon Sin. When we're talking about this tabernacle that the Lord instructed Moses to build, this tent of meeting, if you will, God, who was always separate and removed from his people, desired to be among the people. God desires to be among us. And on this side of the cross, we have Jesus who made it possible for, not, for God not only to be in our midst, but for him to be right in here. Well, you can't get any closer than that. So there they were in the wilderness at the base of Sinai. Of course, all the trouble they had, right? And God says, even after all of their disobedience, I want to be closer. I want to be in your midst. So build this tent. But here's what you got to do. There must be blood. If you don't have the appropriate coverings, you'll be destroyed. My holiness will literally destroy you. I don't want to destroy you. Here's what you got to do. There's the gospel. What are we to do? And that's what this is about. We looked at the Ola, the burnt offering. We talked about how this is the whole animal going up. We talked about the Minha, the grain offering, or the cereal offering, which serves as a tribute to God. We talked about the Zevah, Shalamim, 
the peace offering or the sacred offering of greeting to God. We're worshiping here in these two. Now we're talking about the chata is how you say it. And it's called the sin offering. And it's signifying the concept of purification after having been in fellowship with God. Do How many of you here struggle knowing Christ Jesus, but you still struggle with a sin nature? I do. And we're also going to be talking about the Hasham, the trespass offering. Or, sometimes when we as Christians sin, we got to go back and make stuff up. Not to God. I mean, we repent. But sometimes if I offend a brother or sister or a lost person, anybody, in dealing and getting right with the Lord, he may prompt me to say, you need to go. And make that right. Reparations is what we're talking about here. The Israelites had five standard offerings. The first three were described in Leviticus 1 through 3, burnt grain and fellowship offerings. The last two are now described the purification offering, also known as the sin offering. And it spans from Leviticus 4 1 to uh, 5.13 or, or 6 through 7. I'm sorry, for 1 to 6 through 7. And the reparation offering, or known as the guilt offering. Uh, from 5.14 and 6-7. through 7. These last two belong together very naturally since both focus on making atonement for the offer. Now you think, what does that mean, making atonement for the offer? Well, the fourth offering was called the, the kahata because of sin. And sin is inherent in the word khatat. This offering is sometimes seen as an offering of atonement for unintentional sin. So, we have the problem of unintentional sin. I didn't mean to offend them. I didn't mean to stumble on and see that. You know, I, I mean, we, we sin unintentionally all the time. Similarly, it is sometimes viewed as a guilt offering, removing the consequences for lack of perfection. Now, we're talking here in Leviticus. They, this was required of them, but God made an allowance. As such, some have proposed the term purification offering instead of sin offering. And the primary purpose of this offering is not to atone for sins as far as justification, but rather to purify oneself for re-entering the presence of God. And many Christians struggle with the fact, I got saved, I I know the Lord, but I I got into sin for a stretch. Seems like I regress, but, 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 but even when we're not faithful, God remains faithful. And so God will not deny himself, even though sometimes we may end up doing that. But the salvation that that we have is not something we've earned. It's something we've been given. And he keeps it through the atonement that Christ made. He's our perfect high priest that can do that. And then suddenly you find yourself being brought back into the fellowship. Because God won't let his people go. But perfection. We're not perfect. re-entering the presence of God after we have sinned. How many of you have ever felt as though you've sinned to the point where you just are too ashamed to go ask God one more time to forgive you? Well, good news. We have a perfect peace offering. The sin offering and the trespass offering in Leviticus 4 and 5, these first three offerings, again, as I said, are a picture of justification before God. That's what they were for, the burnt meat and peace 
They allow the one bringing the offering to be restored to salvation. But the last two offerings deal with the problem of sin. They deal with the problem but don't really serve as a means to salvation. If you sin, bring an offering. They promote reconciliation with God. Many times we use the term rededication. I'm rededicating my life to God. Well, why are you doing that? Why aren't you being saved? Because I was born again on this today, back then. But I did some things and I've been off on my own. But now I'm coming back and I'm rededicating. I want God to have me back. I want to. I know what he's doing. He's, he's told me I'm his. He's made it clear. Conviction of sin has robbed me of joy. But he's brought me back in repentance. And I understand it. I've known him. I've known him the whole time. But he's now called me back. And I'm rededicating my life. I'm, I'm recommitting my life to Christ. The sin offering is brought when a person or a community sins in ignorance even. And then discovers that they have sinned. It would be like bringing an offering when you become aware of the nature of sin in your life. Here's one. That a lot of people do. They take God's name in vain. Believers. And they don't even realize they're doing it. Because it's a phrase. I hear it often. They'll just declare. Oh God. Or OMG. Or Jesus. And they don't even hear it. Because it's so pervasive in our culture. And then later on you say. Hey uh. Just want you to know <laughs> that the Bible says we're not to use. Remember, you know, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, when did I do that? Well, you just said, oh, God, when I said it's going to snow this afternoon. And then they go. And then they get that look. Because yeah, they're born again. They, 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 it was something they just didn't. Re- it could be anything, though, really. Right. Do you realize that when you come into the office, you always look down at everybody and get off this air that you're just better? Did you know you're doing that? No, I had no idea I'm doing it. Yeah, that's how it comes off. That's what they're interpreting it. Well, that's not what I've been meaning to do. Well, you are. And you're like, it's the look that you have in your soul when you realize you've sinned. You didn't realize, right? Well, the sin offering is brought when a person or community sins in ignorance, and then discovers that they have sinned. (laughs) Like when you realize that you're selfish or greedy. The trespass offering, on the other hand, was brought for reconciliation of specific committed sins. It is for specific sin events. That trespass offering is not for, like, heart issues. So all of this God has allowed in His grace for us to, to be covered. Of course, in Christ, we don't have to step through this, right? Can you imagine keeping track? I would be at the priest all the time. I would just have to have a little RV right there. <laughs> Most translations and commentators render the Hebrew term for the sacrifice, hatat, as sin offering. And it's natural and obvious because it means sin. Sin, and now this is important for you to get, sin disrupts the relationship between God and man. Amen? And between man and man. Amen? It poses a threat to the covenant relationship provoking divine anger. But it has other side effects as well. If someone steals something, the owner will not only feel aggrieved, but hope for restitution of his property if the thief is caught. Propitiation of divine anger, it has been suggested, is an important element in the burnt offering. Purification is the main element in the purification sacrifice. I've sinned as a believer. What do I need to do to get right? 
And the Bible tells us we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and to come boldly before the throne of grace. That's what we have on this side, because we have a high priest who didn't have to atone for his own sins, but just for ours, and he did a good job. So all we got to do is just come back home. Sin not only angers God and deprives him of his due, it also makes his sanctuary unclean. Have you thought about that? Now listen to this. It's important. We're going to get to the text. A holy God cannot dwell amid uncleanness. The purification offering purifies the place of worship so that God may be present among his people. Leviticus chapter 4 says this. In the NLT it says, if any person... But whatever, if a person, it means any person, sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not be done and does any of them. If you mess up, think Romans here, right? If you think about Romans chapter 7 where Paul's like, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do want to do, I don't. I'm just a mess. So we have sins of omissions and sins of commission, right? Is what we have. And that's what we see listed here. But then he starts off in verse 3 with the high priest if the, appointed, if the anointed priest sins, well, what do you do when your priest sins? That's why, that's why <clears throat> I've always wondered about those in, the, in Catholicism. When you talk to that priest, what's he thinking about? Because where do we first sin? And I'm like, what, 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 that makes no sense to me. I need, I need Jesus. I need the perfect man to listen to me that never sinned but knows what it's like and says, yeah, I can cover you. In fact, I have. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. Now, did you get that part? That's what happens. Do you remember when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to sin? This whole thing would have been done away with right off the get-go. But he didn't. Now, if this... In, in the Levitical system, if their priests sin, what does it say? It says they bring guilt on all the people. How would you like to be a priest in those days? Talk about have a complex. No wonder Martin Luther nearly drove himself batty. He was so concerned with sin, he could, he just couldn't because he couldn't stop sinning, so he never stopped condemning himself until he f- discovered salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. <laughs> It says, let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which has sinned a young bull without blemish. And so when we start getting into this, notice what it says. This is, this is key. Verse 6. Well, verse 5. The anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. Now, why did he have to do it there? None, no one else did it there because there's four other groups here. Why did he have to go in there? Because that's where he works. That's where he represents the people. The more responsibility you have before the Lord, the higher your accountability. Elders, deacons, teachers, you name it. Pastors, you know, as part of function of an elder. It's a big deal. Well, this is a look into that. So he stood before the Lord and that veil. They had to go cleanse the veil. Not only that, notice what else it says. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar. It's got to be cleansed too. 
of sweet incense before the Lord, which is the tabernacle of meeting, and, the, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle, to even come in. So in other words, everywhere that offending priest was offending had to be cleansed. But that was also the place of restoration, too. That was his job. Now, that was him. Now, there's a second group. Look down to verse 13. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, that they have done something against any of the commandments, when the, in verse 14, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And then it says, the elders of the congregation, which represent them, shall lay their hands on the head of the bull, signifying a transferring of guilt to the bull. In verse 16, the anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting, dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil, and shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar. And it's basically the same thing again. So the priest shall make atonement for them in verse 20, and it shall be forgiven them. So an entire assembly of people can sin unintentionally. Have you ever wondered? Now, you remember Richard Owen Roberts when we were going through our, our revival material? And he was talking about a church sometimes needs to, to repent corporately for sins they've committed. It doesn't just stop with the individual. So wouldn't it be something in our day if we saw a solemn assembly gather in the magic valley of churches and they came to the altar as it were and said, we have sinned. And, and many of the churches, indeed our own maybe, as we sought the Lord, we didn't realize that when we did this, this is what it was perceived as. Now we know what it was perceived as, and we need to make it right. Now you are definitely dealing with revival atmosphere. There have been churches in history, recent history, that have ran on to these things. They know they've done both, both sins of omission and commission. I mean, believe it or not, you're back in the Bible Belt and things get a little, a little hot. They've taken out a whole page in the newspaper, an entire letter written to their community repenting and asking forgiveness for what they've done that goes back years in the church. Nonetheless, the leadership owned it, and they went to the priest. Well, you have another group, verse 4, or chapter, I mean, sorry, a fourth, uh, a third group, third group, verse 22. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God in anything which should not be done is guilty, or his sin which he has committed becomes to his knowledge. See, comes to his knowledge keeps coming up, doesn't it? Sins that he's committed which comes to his knowledge. Sins he's committed which comes to his knowledge. He shall bring as an offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. Lay his hand on it. He shall kill it. And then it says, The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour its blood at the base of the altar. This one doesn't go before the veil. This one stays outside. That's where they are. But even that area has to be cleansed. I just want you to imagine... I've been thinking about this all week. This hard. So I, I'll, I'll grant you that. This hard. Just hang with me. If unbeknownst to many of us in this room, there were also several of us 
who are in gross iniquity. Intentionally. But it's not known to the rest of us. You're not hiding it. It's right there in front of the eyes of the Holy One. And you bring it into the assembly. We don't know. But God knows. God sees. And then if you should find out. As the unoffending person. And you find out the brother or sisters are there into that kind of thing. And you say nothing. Now you're guilty of omission. Now you brought guilt upon the body. It's just serious, isn't it? Well, we don't go get a bull, thankfully. We don't have to go sharpen our knives. And we don't go have to make sure the priest is okay first to do his job. We come to the leadership of the church and we say, you, you should know that blah, 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 and so on. And then the leadership better be willing to do their job and go to the offenders and say, thus saith the Lord, you better get this right. If not, we're bringing you before the assembly and we will confess your sin for you. If you don't do it, what are you doing in essence? You're cutting yourself off, so to speak, from that fellowship, that harmony, that unity, that peace that you have walking in God's commands. And you're going to try to convince yourself that it doesn't matter? Revelation tells us of a church that did just that. Well, threatened. The Lord Jesus said, if you don't get this right... As a body, I'm going to remove your lampstand from you. You lose the right to proclaim my name. That's serious stuff. This heavy stuff, isn't it? Well, that's what we get out of Leviticus. Now we got, we have Jesus. And all he's saying is just bring it. Bring it. I specialize in messes. The messier, the better it can get. Just bring it. But we don't. There's another group. Verse 27. Uh, or did I touch that one? I'm losing my, my, my thought. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something. It's the same thing. They're supposed to offer what they offer. And notice verse 35 at the end. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. Because if you're, that's what God desires to do. Is forgive. That's why repentance sometimes should first be sought as the gift of God because it's something that God grants us to do. You have children or friends that are hardened to the gospel and you just want them to repent. Ask God to grant them that gift. That's why when I prayed, Lord, give us the fear. Let your fear accompany us as we go share the gospel with people. So that when we're sharing the gospel, the fear of the holiness of God would so illuminate their soul that they would tremble knowing they need Jesus. We need to pray for God to grant repentance. Because He desires to forgive. 
Now, there's much more that I could say that I'm going to have to say next week. But I'm going to finish with 5-3. And I'm going to come back and address this next week. This is getting into a little bit of the trespass offering. But I like this phrase. Or if he touches a human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it. Notice this line. When he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. And then it says it again in verse 4. When he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. But there's still atonement available for him. I just read to you Hebrews 5. And it talked about Jesus being our perfect high priest. He doesn't have to worry about his sins. He's made atonement for our sins. But after having that established fellowship in Jesus... Sometimes we need to tarry at the altar. Say, Lord, the truth of the matter is, I have been harboring whatever. uh, An unforgiving spirit. Critical spirit. I've looked past my blessings and I've allowed the pressures of life to cause me to become permanently sour. And I complain. God hates complaining. Read the Old Testament. Moses hated it too. There are so... Narcissism. God hates it. And all sin, if you would... We would all agree, is narcissistic, right? Because sin says, me first. Like, here's one. This seems so innocent. I've recently done it. Okay? Here I go playing on myself again. There was a leftovers... And I had labored hard over it, hours, and, uh, and it was left. And uh, I was going to eat it. I wanted it. It was leftover. And so my daughter said, well, I was going to take that for lunch. If you, unless you want to eat it, in which case I, I did. I ate it. I woke up this morning, and that's the very... You ate them. You ate the leftovers. Why did you eat them? You knew she wanted them. Why did you eat them? You were being selfish. That is narcissistic of you to do. You knew right when you were standing there I was telling you not to do it. Why did you do it? It seems funny, but it's not. Because I offended my Lord. If I'm willing to fudge on enchiladas, why else am I going to fudge? It may be that today, and it may be, if I, if I numb myself and desensitize myself to that there, as you may think, that's just dumb, whatever. If I, if I desensitize myself there, what degree of step will I desensitize later? Where does it stop? That's how it starts, right? And I don't want to. I don't want to begin my day with a grievance with God. And we all do this, don't we? 